Your radio is on. It's on 88.3 FM, WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor's 24-hour open-minded radio surprise pudding, licensed to the regents of the University of Michigan, operated by students at the University of Michigan, uniquely maintained as a healthy alternative and a positive influence on the mental health of the Ann Arbor community. You are here. Well, uh, good evening. It is uh, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Welcome to another show called Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer, and I'll just mention right up front, it is fundraiser down here at WCBN. 734-763-3500 is the number to call and pledge your ongoing support for community student-run public radio here in Southeast Michigan. Yes, indeedy, and uh, we have premiums as usual. We sort of rely on uh, contributions from the uh, listening public, people online, that sort of thing, so don't hesitate. Um, My, yeah. what a silly week it was last week. Well, yeah, it was uh, bordering on the bazaar. Um I don't think it was a very good week for Donald Trump. Very quickly on the, we'll just get the Democratic primary stuff out because I think we're going to see another watch this weekend in Nevada. Um, look, this is coming down to what's going to happen on Super Tuesday. It's quite clear that the vote is all split up. I guess the interesting uh, development from last week in New Hampshire was the marginal rise of Amy Klobuchar, but where she goes from here, we don't know. She didn't actually get more than 20% of the vote, but she did get delegates. And it's interesting that she's actually one delegate behind Elizabeth Warren, and there are a lot of people trying to claim that she should get out of the race, which I don't quite see happening. She's been polling third, by the way, all year, Elizabeth Warren. Mm. I think she might have had a brief little spell where she was ahead of Bernie around the time of the heart attack. Uh, but then Bernie came back, and Bernie clearly has his lane. 
But uh, you can make an argument that he was actually one of the big losers in the New Hampshire primary. Got 63% of the vote last time. Mm-hmm. And this time it was just a little over 26. So the way to look at these primaries, by the way, I, I was looking at the NHL standings uh, like Wednesday. I was looking at the Boston Bruins and the Detroit Red Wings because the Red Wings had just recently beat the Bruins. Uh, 10 days ago or something. And there were 25 games left to play. Both teams had played 57 games, and Boston had 80 points, and the Red Wings had 32 points. Well, the Red Wings technically were not mathematically eliminated by Boston yet, because if the Wings won 25 in a row... Which is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And the Boston Bruins lost 25 in a row, the Wings would actually... Finish ahead of the Bruins. And they say that's why you play the games. That's why you play the games. And that's why we have these caucuses and primaries. Mm-hmm. Nevada is a caucus. Caucuses can be uh, can render misleading results. I think primaries are a little more accurate. But even South Carolina is a little bit of an outlier. Uh, Jesse Jackson won the South Carolina primary in 1988. Um, the electorate in uh, the Democratic party in South Carolina is uh, 50 to 60 percent African-American. So you do have to do well with that constituency to win South Carolina. That's a primary where you go in and vote. But in the hockey standings, you have this thing called an overtime loss. In other words, if you play to regulation and you tie, uh, the NHL has decided you get one point for that effort. And then, of course, there's a, what, five-minute overtime period? Five-minute overtime, and if it's not resolved, then it goes to a shootout so that there are, in effect, no more ties in NHL games. But it has the sort of unintended consequence of making what is otherwise a two-point game a three-point game. If uh, you win it in the overtime, you get the two points. But the team that you know forced the overtime tie and then loses in overtime gets a point. Gets one point, and that's why a team going down the stretch can frequently stay in the race if they're just getting the mm-hmm. one point. If they're just getting the regulation tie, they don't lose that much in the standings. That's kind of what we're looking at right now here, folks. It's basically Bernie and Buttigieg, one win, one tie, and Biden... Warren and Klobuchar one tie, so it's kind of three, three, one, 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 and no other candidates have any delegates. And Bloomberg, of course, is the eight hundred million pound gorilla over in the corner, and he's banking on Super Tuesday, and we simply don't know what's going to happen. Right. Um, Elizabeth Warren, just to talk about her briefly. Uh, kind of has made some mistakes of what I call inexperience. She's not a politician. You know, she was a professor advocate who appeared a lot often on Bill Moyers' show, talking about the banks and what they were doing and the ripoffs and consumer fraud and corporate fraud. And she sort of belatedly ran for the Senate when John Kerry gave up his seat to become the Secretary of State in Mm -hmm. Obama's second term. So she hasn't actually been in the Senate that long. She was part of that original uh, Consumer Protection Agency uh, as an advocate. 
She's made some mistakes of experience, I would say. But for her to continue on, she really needs to get Klobuchar out of the race. And if she does that, she may have a lane to go in. Because what was interesting to me was that the moderates are getting 62% of the vote. The far liberals are getting 38% of the vote. The women are getting about 30% of the vote. And I'm including Klobuchar and Warren combined here. So the quote-unquote moderate, and this is all the media making labels, because they're all really pretty progressive, really, if you look at most I, of their positions. And it's widely agreed that any one of these candidates uh, running on the Democratic for the Democratic nomination is suitable. Suitable, uh, you know, yeah. qualified, qualified, and in many, in most, by temperament and experience, uh, by and large, with most a few had, exceptions yeah. here and there in the experience department. And most head-to-head polls show that they all can beat Trump in a close race. The race is going to be close regardless. Um, obviously, Bernie Sanders is is sort of nominally the front runner because he's got the name recognition. Biden, look. He was never polling above fourth in Iowa at any point. Mm-hmm. So he, he wasn't going to do any better. He sort of shot par in Iowa. He fell a little bit in New Hampshire. But Amy Klobuchar was able to use the debate, this very aggressive debate tactic that she used before the New Hampshire primary. She went up in the polls. <clears throat> she did better than the polls said she would. And what you really have is you have a split. It's kind of like the Israeli... Knesset election that's coming up in three weeks itself. Uh, Benny Gantz and, and Netanyahu have basically tied in the last two elections, and Israel is in a stalemate. They can't produce a government moving forward. So they're actually having their third election in one year. And when you have stalemates and gridlock, so to speak, in an election, you don't know what's going to happen. Things can change rapidly. Some candidates make mistakes. I don't see some late-breaking scandal derailing one of these candidates. These are all pretty kind of good government Democrat types. Some of them have been prosecutors. Um, Bernie Sanders has been in politics for 55 years or something. So uh, there aren't any scandals on the horizon. (laughs) The only scandals are, are keep coming out of the Trump administration. About which more later. <laughs> anyway, 734-763-3500. Call your pledge of support well, and here yeah. during the fundraiser. Uh, another reason for Warren to hang in there, although by all reports... Uh, her, her, you know, donations are uh, sort of drying up a little bit. It, it isn't expensive, needlessly expensive. Or we can talk some other time about uh, how and why uh, the election uh, system could and should be reformed here. But another reason for her to to stick it out through at least Super Tuesday is there's a lot of people who see the progressive lane of the Democratic Party uh, to be, you know, Bernie's the front runner in that lane, certainly, uh, over Warren at the moment. But there are some, you know, dangling questions about Bernie, uh, his reluctance to release his medical records. Dude had a heart attack. And he's it's in a, his late 70s. It's a grueling process. I certainly wish no ill health to... Anyone out there hustling for the nomination, but it's a grueling 
sure uh, to uh, put your body through the the flights, the time zone changes, the meals on the go, the short sleep, the constant the corn dogs talking and shouting and <laughs> corn dog after corn dog and state after state. Uh, a lot can happen between now and June when the primaries uh, sort of wrap up and the conventions uh, get you know organized. Right, and we'll see after Super Tuesday who the real front runners are. I suspect by then a couple of these other candidates will drop out. I think Steyer is the first one out. Obviously, there's already been some other candidates that have dropped out. And Klobuchar may be next. I mean, she's got... See, Elizabeth Warren was running for president uh, from the beginning. Early, and she yeah. set up a, kind of an infrastructure in some of these other states. So don't count her out. And I might add... Uh, Bloomberg <laughs> might make a phone call to Elizabeth Warren and say, you know what, you should stay in the race as long as possible because she is blocking Bernie Sanders at some level. Mm, She's yeah. taking those are votes that would otherwise go to his. Yeah. Column. And yeah. that that pr could may maybe prevent Bernie Sanders from be being the nominee. Um, I think that the Democratic Party is still sort of agnostic about. Uh, whether they really want a moderate or a liberal, a far-left liberal, but the socialism moniker is a big danger for the Democratic Party in many ways in this election. When we have somebody as, as ridiculous as uh, Donald Trump uh, interfering in the sentencing procedures involving on the cover of a Roger Stone... <laughs> Uh, you know, this development is just remarkable. Um, and by the way, the, the sentencing is in a couple of days. So this judge... End of this week, I think Thursday. Yeah. The judge may throw the book at Roger Stone. I think, you Let's know... Remember, he threatened yeah. her yep. as well. And he had to be told two or three times to stop talking, stop tweeting. You can't go on TV and talk about your case. Don't make me put you in jail. <laughs> and of course, her his lawyers are actually making the remarkable request that he deserves a new trial because Trump keeps talking about the case. Uh, and we've seen Trump interfere in numerous other cases, including court martials. Uh, he doesn't understand his role in uh, in uh, in America, and these reinvestigations are not going to help Donald Trump. I don't know what he's thinking. Just remember that McCabe was totally vindicated, totally mm. exonerated on Friday. Um, there was a ruling on Friday this past week uh, out of the Washington Court of Appeals, three to nothing, on Donald Trump's welfare reform ideas requiring able-bodied people to work. This was being implemented in Arkansas and was possibly going to be implemented in Michigan. That was struck down three to nothing. And I'd like to point out that the judge that wrote the opinion was David Sentinel, the right-wing judge who interfered in the Clinton-Whitewater investigation back in the 90s. So, you know, he, he basically said, look, the, the Medicaid law was passed with these ideas in mind, and you haven't produced any uh, palpable policy issues here that are going to um, protect Medicaid and what what its purpose was. In other words, Medicaid was a, was a statute. It was an act. 
And Donald Trump keeps believing in his own brain that he can sign these executive orders and what I say goes kind of thing. He's being cut down in the courts repeatedly. And what did his lawyers say in the Senate trial a couple of weeks ago? You have to go to court. <laughs> Which so, they've actually used that very language, uh, quoting Cipollini and uh, Seculo, uh, as uh, I think it's judiciary uh, continues to pursue uh, the investigation of the tax records of one Donald J. Trump. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're following the advice of his own lawyers who say to subpoena. <laughs> so here we go. And then, of course, there's this Michael Flynn nonsense. Uh, he apparently is trying to change his plea. I'd like to point out that he pled guilty. So there's nothing to really... <laughs> I don't even understand what the legal issues are and why he hasn't been sentenced yet. What this interference last week showed and proved is that the Mueller report's findings regarding the obstruction of justice uh, have been validated yet again. And I don't know what's going to happen in the sentence hearing, but uh, for William Barr to go on TV and say, well, you know, these tweets are not very helpful to my job performance. It's making my job impossible. <laughs> There's a couple of ways. I've got a few, three quotes here from Barr's little bizarre, and, and it's it's really hard to to fathom how deviant this behavior is. I mean, this is worse than John Mitchell uh, for behavior from an attorney general. Uh, let's just take the one you mentioned there first. That these tweets make my job impossible. Now, some people are generously assuming that well, he's using television as a way to tell the president, you know, you can't. Uh, interfere in the process. I'm in charge of these decisions in these matters. But I think knowing the way Barr speaks and the way he thinks about the imperial presidency, that this is sort of the, the quiet part out loud. Dude, you're making my job to cover up for you and your crazy buddies and their shenanigans and criminal enterprises by openly tweeting about it. That's what he means by, oh, yes, uh, these tweets make my job impossible. Shh, dude, I'm already doing it. Don't talk about it. Right. That's completely within the realm of interpretation. Uh, uh, ditto and he the, has been. Right. Uh, the language that Barr, uh, you know, his quote is, uh, the president never spoke to me about looking into these criminal proceedings. He doesn't need to. We know from Michael Cohen's testimony how Trump tells people what to do. It goes all the way back to, uh, what is it, King Henry II of England? Will no one rid me of this meddling priest? Right. You know, uh, Archbishop Thomas Becket of Canterbury is then murdered by a couple of knights eager to please their uh, lord and master. Uh, well, I didn't tell them to kill the archbishop, but that's kind of how it played out, see? Right. And, of course, Trump's lawyers during the, the impeachment trial said he didn't make any demands in the phone call when it's quite clear what the phone call is Indeed. all about. Read the transcript. Read the transcript. <laughs> you know, Barr, of course, a couple uh, months ago uh, in early December gave a wretched speech uh, to the Federalist Society claiming that the president's power 
uh, has been eviscerated over the last uh, 55 years. He, What's he talking about? He started in 66 for some strange reason. And I, I was wondering, what about Vietnam? What about the invasion of Cambodia, secret invasion war, the bombing of Cambodia? Homeland Security. Watergate. Uh, Iran-Contra. The notion that the president's power has been eroding uh, over these many decades is utterly ludicrous. Uh, we, you know, we, we've had dozens of intellectual studies about the imperial presidency. Uh, Congress has ceded a lot Indeed. of power yeah. to the president. That's actually what the story is. And, of course, the judiciary is now probably acquiring more power because um, these cases are sued. There's no sort of working concept of government at the moment. You know, Mitch McConnell uses the filibuster uh, to block anything and everything he wants to. He's a sort of a dictator in his own right. He's mm. kind of the the Mussolini of the operation at the moment. <laughs> and as for Donald Trump, um, yeah, he, he had a bad week, really, uh, re realistically. You know, and for him to go into New Hampshire, he has a rally. Okay, fine. Right. Whatever, dude. Uh, you know, by the way, it's been reported that when he goes to Mar-a-Lago, it costs the taxpayers $3 million a trip. He's made 80 trips. Do the math. $240 million so that Donald Trump can go down to Mar-a-Lago and play golf on Saturday and then start tweeting on Sunday. Well, and part of that money lines his own pocket because the uh, top dollar that Secret Service agents are charged for uh, their compelled residency in yeah. uh, said luxury resort. Six fifty a night. Uh, I don't know if that comes with... Uh, <clears throat> Dancing ladies or not? Well, you don't need to pledge $650 a night to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, but any call of your support for uh, continuing the uh, variety and range of programming here on WCBN is much appreciated. 763-3500. Indeed. And, of course, for Trump to go up to New Hampshire and yell at the top of his lungs that the system is rigged. They're rigging the system against you, Bernie. You know, he, he's taken up this defending Bernie Sanders on the campaign trail, uh, trying to suggest, of course, that the DNC is somehow interfering in this uh, election process, which is false. Uh, I wanted to kind of quickly review, by the way, some of the results from the 2016 election, because I really think there's been some misstatements of fact that continue to permeate our public debate that are bordering on myths, somewhere between myths, uh, delusions, and outright lies. Um, the top 15 states, the 15 biggest states in the United States in 2016, all had primaries. Washington State had a strange system. They had a primary, but they picked their delegates through a caucus. So I'm going to toss them out. They don't count. Hillary Clinton, for the record, won the primary. Bernie Sanders won the caucuses. He got more delegates. Washington State is having a primary this year, hmm. as are Minnesota and Colorado. So these caucuses are becoming a thing of the past. Thank God. People should go into voting booths and vote. 
with optical scanners and not, not, not these electronic machines and all this on other... On a paper ballot. You know, all these shenanigans that are yeah. going on. But I want to quickly review what the results actually were, because people are confused about this. I'm going to toss out California, because I don't remember the precise final percentages. It was really late in the campaign. Hillary Clinton had already mathematically wrapped it up. In Texas, Hillary Clinton won two to one. In Florida, she won about two to one. In New York, she won 58 to 41. And these are estimates that I'm using from memory here. Pennsylvania was about 55-45. Illinois was close. It was about 52 to 48. Ohio was 57 to 41. Georgia was about 2 to 1. 2 to 1, Hillary Overburn. Hillary. Hillary is winning all these states by huge margins. These are not even close, most of them. Okay, Michigan is where Bernie Sanders did win. He won by two points. New Jersey was roughly a 56 uh, 44 kind of result. North Carolina, 58 to 40. Uh, Virginia was a similar margin. Arizona was 2 to 1. And Massachusetts was a narrow Hillary victory. Two thirds of the American people live in those states. And by the way, they're underrepresented in the Electoral College, mm. if you do the math, based on the population. That's one of the flaws. So there, Hillary Clinton won these primaries pretty decisively. There was no rigging of the system. There was no DNC interference in these elections. People go to the polls. And Hillary Clinton did well because Bill Clinton was a very— successful professional politician who had great contacts within the Democratic Party, within the minority communities in our country. He was a very popular president with Democrats uh, when he was president in the 90s. And you've seen this really interesting story about Mayor Bloomberg that's percolating around about mayors around America who are endorsing Mayor Bloomberg because he used his philanthropy to give them money for social programs and educational programs and gun control and mm. whatnot. That's part of what politicking is. It's networking. It's this long system. It's not about giving speeches and yelling from a stage. That's one part of it. And there have been some great politicians that have been wonderful orators like John F. Kennedy. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt was a great speaker on the, on the radio. Ronald Reagan was could deliver a very good speech on television because he was a professional actor. They gave him the speech. He read it. So that's part of politics. And you got to look at the results. You got to look at the standings. You have to evaluate this. This is a long season. <laughs> and uh, and we'll see what happens. You know, it ain't over. It's it's going to be like a baseball season or a hockey season. Lots of games left to play. Right. Nevada next Saturday. Uh, South Carolina the Saturday after yeah. that. And then it comes into March 10th where Michigan and about five other states have primaries. Yeah. We're, we're the week after Super <clears throat> Tuesday. And then the on St. Paddy's Day, there are a bunch of other big states like uh, Ohio and Arizona and uh, Florida, I think. Yes. And... Uh, Illinois, maybe. So that's a kind of a mini Super Tuesday. So by the day after 
St. Paddy's Day, and I don't know how many young people are going to be voting on St. Paddy's Day <laughs> in this country. <laughs> Back in the old days, that was... No a- grog in the polling stations. <laughs> Back in the old days, that was a good way to get out the Irish vote. <laughs> Pack the house with <laughs> beer flagons and come and vote and drink. Hey, we got a pub right next to the polling station. We got another one down the street. <laughs> Just wear a different hat, my friend. Yeah, uh, 763-3500-734-763-3500. Now, I don't know if anybody saw this on TV. I certainly didn't. But I got to quickly mention what a great cartoonish image this uh, stunt. And that's, let's face it, that's what he's good at is stunts. Trump's uh, opening lap at the Daytona 500 race where he drives the presidential limo around the track. Um, I didn't realize that his limo was nicknamed the Beast, as it's being reported in the New York Times here. But, of course, the crowd cheered. Mr. Trump arrived at the pack stands after a rare Air Force One flyover. What's that cost? Later rounded the track in his limousine, nicknamed the Beast. Uh, Trump proclaimed... Uh, In his dulcet tones, NASCAR fans never forget that no matter who wins the race, what matters most is God, family, and country. He lied. Uh, Ask him about God sometime. He's got nothing to say on the matter. Family? We know how the man has lived his family life. And uh, he'd sell his country out for, well, just about anything. The funny thing is, is that by the time all this goofing around is finished, And it's time for the cars to line up for the race to begin. Uh, Well, gee, Willikers, they were only able to make 20 laps. So first it starts to rain. Got to wait. An hour goes by. They they do 20 laps. Then heavy rain comes. All those people got rained on and they got no race. (laughs) And Trump, of course, is a man who can't be caught in the rain. Uh, I saw a very revealing photograph about a month ago showing Trump clutching an umbrella as he walked from the helicopter to the, to the limo, and he was so nervous about the wind blowing that hair <laughs> up in the air, baby. Yeah. That's the old Bo Diddley line about, yeah, the wind blew her hair in my face, then it blew her hair into her face, and then it blew her hair into the street. <laughs> I got caught in the tires of the NASCAR vehicle. Uh, just to remind you, you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. The number down here is 734-763-3500. War fundraising. Yazoo City Calling is coming up shortly here on this fine station. Um, and as for Roger Stone, I mean, it's it's remarkable, by the way, that in his actual trial, uh, Steve Bannon was a, was a uh, uh, witness uh, who told the truth. He said... Uh, in his testimony uh, back in uh, the uh, early November, that uh, the campaign was lagging behind Hillary, and it was ready to try any method, including dirty tricks, to win. He said, "When you're this far behind, you try to use every tool in the toolbox." Mr. Bannon testified, including opposition research, and you know, dirty tricks to make up ground. That's what Roger Stone was and is. He called the uh, uh, Julian Assange, apparently. He called Trump uh, 48 times, hundreds of calls to 
Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort and Roger Stones were lobbyists together. They represented people like Saddam Hussein, Mobutu. Quality characters. The dictator of Somalia, Marcos. This is the kind of crowd this guy hangs out with. Well, over uh, 2,000 ex-Department of Justice prosecutors have signed a letter calling on Barr to resign. I doubt very much.